This is John Halsman, and welcome to the culture section of John's newsletter for the week, when we look at the things that really matter. And presently, we're taking a voyage through mid to late 60s American pop music. We've already looked at Arthur Lee and Love's fantastic masterpiece, Forever Changes. We've moved on to look at one of the best five albums ever made easily, Pet Sounds by the immaculate Brian Wilson. And today we have a third bite of the apple and we look at the seminal first album of the Mamas and the Papas, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears, which is surely a record that one ought to listen to before one dies. It's a fundamental record to understanding the 60s and freedom. As we said before in the first two parts, in the mid to late 1960s, in the specific milieu of a California, then at the cutting edge of the ongoing freedom experiment, and in the specific time of the youth movement, the front line displaying freedom's manifold benefits and perils, all four of our great auteurs, in this case Arthur Lee, Brian Wilson, John Phillips, and Jim Morrison, managed to harness freedom to create masterworks, pet sounds, if you can believe your eyes and ears, forever changes in the doors, different from anything heard before. And we've gone through what happened with pet sounds last week and the tension that he had, Brian did, in making the album. And now we move on to John Phillips. John Phillips and the Mamas and the Papas came after Brian Wilson. Their debut album, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears, seemingly safely introduced much of the mainstream America to the hippie ethos. On the surface, Phillips' efforts are the most conventional of the four we're going to look at, and certainly were the most saleable, irresistibly catchy, commercially widely acceptable, and beautifully arranged. For all that John was a wonderful songwriter, he was an even better arranger of voices. Songs such as California Dreamin', Got a Feelin', Go Where You Wanna Go, and Straight Shooter remain staples of old East radio stations 50-plus years after they were written. Much like the Beatles, they've stood the test of time. Phillips worked with what seemed to be the standard, straightforward, lyrical pop trope of Love Lost, focusing on catchy single tracks rather than, as was the case with the others, the totality of the album being the crowning artistic achievement. For John Phillips didn't create uh, concept albums in the way that, say, Forever Changes, The Doors, or Pet Sounds were, but nobody could beat him at creating a single, and nobody could beat him among this group at the, being on the top 40, even The Doors, the Rolling Stones of the United States at the time. The Mamas and the Papas, with their gorgeous contrapuntal harmonies, were, unpre were unpretentiously about singles and not concept albums, with an added dose of Baroque sophistication thrown in, just enough to make it all seem rather daring. If they were singles, they were certainly complicated singles. One of the shrewdest celebrity businessmen of the era, Phillips fully embraced the commercial possibilities of the singer-songwriter era, ahead of luminaries such as Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, James Taylor, and rather more this mattered to him than the political implications of what he was doing. However, John was in reality, and without meaning to be, perhaps a greater intellectual threat than the obviously out there Arthur Lee and the way beyond the pale Jim Morrison. For in 1966, Phillips was the great popularizer of the hippie movement, the bridge between two worlds, seemingly safe enough for mass acceptance, but daring enough to speak for the new California lifestyle, celebrating freedom and a decisive social and sexual break with the past. 
John might not set as many critics' hearts aflutter, but it would be him and not Arthur Lee, whose bohemianism would chime from diner jukeboxes and car radios on Main Street in the rest of the United States. Whereas Arthur Lee maintained sort of a velvet underground connoisseur of those who liked music, John was accessible to everyone, which in a sense made him certainly commercially more potent, but also politically more dangerous. John's seemingly innocuous lyrics, which fit well into the 60s era, were actually coded cries for help. His band was in absolute chaos, having pursued the supposedly sunny doctrine of free love they advanced in so easygoing a fashion. In reality, the moms and the papas more aptly resembled a tragedy by Sophocles and were poster children for excess beneath the easygoing facade. Only a collective without a basic insight into human nature could have thought they could continue to thrive with a group dynamic based on John writing songs about his stunningly beautiful wife, Michelle, cheating on him with his best friend in the group's lead male voice, Denny Doherty, who in turn was being fruitlessly pursued by the group's undoubted star, Mama Cass. This one had nitroglycerin written all over it. John's songs, evoking a whimsical, charming, slightly sad defense of free love, made such a daring creed seem more acceptable to the masses. What it really spoke of was a man trying to convince himself that the pain that he felt because of all this was somehow the remnant of his repressive 50s past, rather than the sane rage of a jilted husband not enjoying himself nearly so much as he let on. Beyond being beautiful and accessible, if you believe your eyes and ears brought the hippie lifestyle, then just an interesting aberration to the attention of middle America in the same way that there were specialized tours of the hippie enclave of Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, allowing tourists to view the alternate lifestyle goings-on from the safety of their bus. It was also important because lost in the lush tunes and catchy Baroque production lay a clue to the contradictions that would destroy the experiment in freedom. The interesting thing is that production, at which Brian Wilson and John Phillips excelled even beyond their wonderful songwriting, they were magnificent producers, production is about, in music, making order out of chaos. And yet in this freedom, the chaos that they had unleashed would harm both Brian Wilson and John Phillips immeasurably. For freedom without moderation, without a moral compass, might be a wild and eye-opening ride, but it was surely not one that could be sustained. And this became a problem. Because as time went on, what seemed sunny and charming actually had a very dark side to it. Part of the movement's problem was that, as is the case with our four protagonists, everyone meant rather different things by freedom. For Brian, it was about controlling his own personal creativity. For John Phillips and the Mamas and the Papas, it centered on a more unfettered sexuality. For Arthur Lee, the personal taking center stage over social and political mind control. And for Jim Morrison, the triumph of, as the 19th century Russian nihilist put it, terrible total nothingism. Yet these very real struggles are not primarily about the same thing. This intellectual incoherence, this very American confusion of thinking that everyone innately meant the same thing when the word freedom was thrown forth as a battle cry, doomed the more messianic vision of the concept to failure. For neither any of our protagonists personally, nor the creed of freedom they espoused, proved sustainable. This was not due to bad luck, or even the beguiling myth of rock star as doomed sage. 
Rather, their tragic stories flow directly out of the contradictions that lay at the heart of what they believed and the actions that flowed from their philosophy. The concept of freedom is precious beyond rubies. It can be used, as in the case of each of the four, to create masterpieces. But to pretend that this has no cost or that other values like moderation, prudence, inner peace, and security are not sacrificed along the way is to be hopelessly naive. For Brian, it brought unbearable pressures that led to drug-induced psychosis. For John, it led to the collective destruction of his band, his marriage, his family, and himself. For Arthur, it led to an agonizing drug-fueled decline. And for Jim Morrison, it led to his death. The ancients understood this dynamic very well. Adhering to the view that all attributes were Janus-faced, having creative and destructive properties, they felt that any value they believed in to the exclusion of all others quickly becomes a faux religion, a god whose powers will turn on its worshippers, resulting in madness and death once moderation is lost. And this is, of course, the price that you pay. But if the 60s did not produce the greatest generation in American history, nor did the baby boomers questing after some purer form of freedom lead to the decline and fall of Western civilization either. The excesses of John Phillips and Morrison and company certainly did lead to a social and political backlash and is part of the explanation for the rise of the political right in the wake of their utopian failures. And so it is easy to remain unkind to the children of the 60s for their gigantic steps forward were balanced all too often by personal and collective hedonism, narcissism, irresponsibility, and a pretentious serial unseriousness which blighted accomplishments and marred the social experiment, then going on around the idea of freedom, leading to its demise, as well as the profound political and social backlash that found its ultimate expression in Reaganism. And so this is the downside of what went on before. We will finish with Jim Morrison and the upside next week. The other thing to remember about the mamas and the papas, and this was part of the problem with the entire process here, is that they didn't get much better. That much like Jimi Hendrix, who came out of nowhere, uh, fully formed like Athena coming from the head of Zeus, here you have John Phillips in all his glory with the mamas and the papas emerging fully formed, but they didn't get much better. And this was true for each of the four that were studying the protagonists. Arthur and Lee never again attained the majesty of forever changes. Brian Wilson, after his drug-fueled psychosis, could never actually attain the grandeur of pet sounds. For John Phillips, the Mamas and the Papas didn't get any worse, but they didn't get any better after this first great album, if you can believe your eyes and ears. And Jim Morrison never attained the glory of the first eponymous Joris album called The Doors. And so in each case, this freedom burst forth, but it couldn't be sustained, and it certainly couldn't be bettered. And it's for these reasons that the movement ultimately failed, along with the fact that all four of these people mean a very different thing by freedom than the others. Next week, we'll end with the doors and point out some of the positives that came out after this, which seems an odd thing to do due to Jim's drug-fueled decline and death. But in the end, there's some positive things to say about this experiment and freedom, as well as listening to an absolutely fantastic album. Take care and see you next time.